Three, two, one, roll the footage! Welcome back to the Strategy Sprints podcast. I'm Simon Severino, your host. My guest today is partner at Builders VC. With headquarters in both the US and Canada, Builder VC believes it takes more than great technology to fix an antiquated industry. To truly make lasting and impactful change, Builders VC backs entrepreneurs who combine courage, technical acumen, and operational expertise. Our guest strives to modernize the world around him by guiding founders of antiquated industries through growth challenges and seed to Series B funding opportunities. Welcome, everybody, Amit Meta. Hi, how are you? So cool to have you here, Amit, because we will discuss Builders Investment Thesis and their 200 million fund, but also we will deep dive into the current challenges of entrepreneurs and investors, which is so relevant. But let's start with you. What are you currently up to? Um, <clears throat> I, I split my time uh, sort of a third, a third, a third in that uh, I'm a practicing physician. So I'm a, what's called an interventional radiologist. We do minimally invasive image-guided surgery. So little robots through holes and tubes that go into the body, um, doing minimally invasive surgery for a host of conditions. Um, so I have a healthcare background and a healthcare technology sort of uh, bent and proclivity. So with that, I had about nine years ago, I'd started a company. So I've been an operator in the clinical trial space. I have a <clears throat> clinical trial company that uses biomarkers for clinical trials. We have uh, about 400 sites around the world, 6,600 clinics that acquire images for us for clinical trials. And we have various customers that are from big pharma to small biotech companies. And then a third of my time as a partner at Builders VC. So we're a tier one Silicon Valley fund doing series A investments. We write sort of three to $10 million checks uh, in growth companies, early stage, uh, a little later than seed, but before a, a massive growth round. And we're on our second fund now uh, with the first fund doing really well um, and starting to deploy into the second fund. Beautiful. You have my attention since since we, we coach in 90 days how to double revenue for the scale-ups. So that's exactly around Series A. So we have a lot in common. But let's start with healthcare because if you are a medical doctor, now I have to ask you this. We are discussing here healthcare will be so different in five years. How would you describe from your perspective what can we expect healthcare to be in five years? Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a huge shift in healthcare, especially in places like the US. Um, you know, we have a thesis at Builders of how we invest into healthcare companies. And that thesis was developed as both a basis of what I see day to day as a practicing doc and what we're seeing as an evolution in the system. Um, both from a clinical perspective and a technology perspective. So I think the biggest things I think that are going to change are one is we're going to see a migration of the locus of care away from these big hospital tertiary care institutions that we call them to the home. And how does that happen? That happens with better technology. It happens with telemedicine. It happens with remote sensors. So imagine in the future, instead of, you know, you have uh, abdominal pain, instead of 
right now you go into the emergency room, you get a CT scan or an MRI, and next thing you know, you know, you're you get a bunch of lab work, and they send you home and said you have bad chicken. Imagine in the future at home you have a sensor that will take all of your vital signs. You've had a personalized medicine genomics test. You've had a gut biome test, and all of that data around you is synthesized that the doctor in the emergency room via telemedicine can say, you know what, you had some red wine today and there's tryptophan in red wine and you have a, a low-grade allergy, which we know from your gut biome personalized genomic test, and you're having a reaction to that. And you don't need to come in and have a $10,000 workup. Let's see how you do tomorrow. And we'll check in with you tomorrow by telemedicine. So it saves the system money. It gives you better care and some, uh, some quality solace that you're doing okay. And overall, for the entire system, decreases the burden on these tertiary care institutions. Beautiful. I want to know more about your 200 million fund and your investment thesis. But first, one word from the sponsor. Hey, if you love what you are hearing, you will love our free masterclasses. Go grab them at strategiesprints.com. So what's your thesis at Builders? So at Builders, what our, we focus on is we're trying to look for companies that are solving real problems in big antiquated industries. So our focus is in four disciplines. One is healthcare, obviously, which is a trillion dollar business, agriculture, real estate, and then industrial. And what we're looking for is companies or sectors where IT spend as a percentage of revenue is very small. So if you look at agriculture, uh, $1.1 trillion business, less than 0.3% of that is, is spent on IT. If you look at farms, farmers are still writing everything down on a piece of paper or cattle farmers, they use Excel spreadsheets. And you, you know, medical or healthcare is probably a little more advanced than that with recent regulation and EMRs, but still as a $3.5 trillion business, it's only 3%, 3.2% of, uh, of that spend is on IT. So we focus on those four sectors. I would say the only sector we don't really focus on is in fintech. Um, I would say fintech is is north of about five to ten percent spend on IT. Um, so a lot of fintech has already uh, experienced that evolution for technological innovation. Beautiful. And how, what about the two hundred million? Is that your average fund? Is this a bigger fund than usual? How how does this number come together? Why yeah, not? Interesting question. You know, we look at our at our LPs and our LPs say, well, why don't you have a bigger fund? And we've chosen to stay. We're at the two. It's this actually the second fund is at the two hundred fifty million dollar mark. We've decided to stay that size because it keeps us disciplined in our investments. You know, when you have a you know, there's recent funds you can look up on the internet that are raising two, three, six billion dollars. When you have a two billion dollar fund and you have an investment period of three to four years. You have to move pretty quick and you end up investing in in companies probably that either don't meet your core thesis or are somewhat rushed because you need to deploy those dollars. For us, we're pretty disciplined in that we know how much capital we have and we're investing in somewhere in the 15 to 18 um, number of company range for our Series A for the sizes of checks that we write and the reserve that we need. So we're very selective and we have the time and the ability to do due diligence that lets us really um, stay true to our mandate. Beautiful. Let's go to your portfolio companies. How are they doing right now in this funky Q4? 
You know, all of our companies actually have done really well. We we sat down as a fund prior to when COVID was starting and said, you know, how are you going to navigate through this pandemic, both from a financial perspective, from an operational perspective and a human perspective? And we sat down with each of them and, and had a game plan. And I'm I'm happy to say that for for most of our companies, actually, the pandemic accelerated what they were doing, you know, in a in a thesis where we're looking at technology to amplify antiquated businesses, this was the opportune time because technology became more paramount importance in a pandemic situation where you couldn't meet meet face to face or you couldn't do a lot of the uh, conventional things you would do. So our healthcare businesses took off and um, grabbed COVID by the by the reins and actually did really well. And many of our other businesses have done really well during the COVID pandemic. Uh, it's the first time that I guess talks about antiquated businesses, and I love it. Uh, we, we, had a, we had a press conference in Zurich with, with Google, who is a joint venture partner of us in this program, Grow with Google. And, uh, and we had this conference, and Google shows some numbers for small businesses. And it's, uh, so we are talking restaurants. We are talking uh, really traditional businesses that have an IT spend, which is usually really low. And then Google shows the numbers that, and says 99% of the customer journeys start online. What's your take? Antiquated businesses, if we, if we, if we say so pre-digital businesses, uh, what's your take? Will they even exist? 20 uh, yeah, I don't think so. If you, you know, one of the businesses that we talk about, healthcare is a good example. We have an investment in a company called Carbon Health, which um, has seen venture velocity and just raised a Series C, the $100 million raise. And what they've done in the healthcare sector is, you know, conventionally right now, when you go to your family doctor, your, your primary care physician, you go to the, the waiting room and you end up sitting there filling in 20 pieces of paper. And then the doctor looks at those papers and then they kind of trying to figure out what's going on. You know, Carbon has taken all of that and put it on an app, on your phone. So prior to your visit to your primary care, all of the information is already available. And with a, a low level of AI and a bunch of um, manipulation, they've actually taken that data and worked out to a certain extent what's happening to you so that the physician or the mid-level provider can be much more effective in the care that they provide you. So if you filled in that I have shortness of breath, cough, green sputum, and a fever, they know you have pneumonia before you come to the primary care physician. So they're going to order a chest X-ray and have you have that done before you come to see the physician. So your encounter with the provider is very efficient. It's both quicker, it's cheaper, and it's more effective. So things like that, I think, yeah. I mean, it's the, the 20 years from now, I don't think there's any of these industries, these core industries that we're investing in are not going to have a higher percentage of IT spend. You're muted. Pick only one. You can pick only one person when everybody's zigging. This person is zagging, but from your perspective, they're doing the right thing. Who is this person? You know, it's uh, it's an interesting question, and and I read a lot of books around um, what others do, and and I would say there isn't a single person for me of the way of many things that I do that 
Um, I look at that. One person who comes to mind, obviously, for a lot of people is Elon Musk. And what I like about what he does is he's able to multitask and run many of these businesses at the same time. And that's something that I've strived or endeavored to do. You know, I have a multifaceted career in terms of uh, clinical healthcare, investing, an operator as a company. And I think many people sort of told me at the beginning when I was starting my company or doing these things that, you know, you need to focus on one thing. You can only be good at one thing. And I, and I don't believe that that's true in terms of the capacity of both the human mind and if you hustle and work hard. I think it's very possible to do many things. And what I've tried to do is make all of those things complementary to each other. So, for example, my focus in investing is in healthcare because I have a uh, a background and a, and a sense of subject matter expertise in that specifically. I stay away from investing in agriculture or industrials. Um, so I think it's possible to do multiple things. And if you can find complements into those different things, and you can try to succeed at all of them together. Beautiful. As somebody who has 50% of my own stock in Tesla, I'm very happy to hear it often. <laughs> Which books did recently touch you? Which books? Let's see. So um, actually, I'm, right now I'm reading. Here we go. I have it right here. This is called The uh, Link Between a Little Craziness and Success in America. And uh, it's an interesting book by a guy, a guy named John Gartner talking about, um, you know, one thing that I've always wondered about is, is you hear that, you know, Elon, people say it's a little crazy. You know, you see, you know these, these entrepreneurs who come up with these big ideas are just a little crazy. Um, and I think, you know, and I would, my children may may uh, disagree. I don't think I'm crazy. I mean, I have a very sort of level head and a, and very sort of calculated and very um, sort of methodical in how I do things, um, which I think if I was your doctor, you want that. I don't think you want someone who's zigzagging all over the place. Um, so it, it's an interesting, uh, this book sort of talks about how you probably need to be a little hypomanic or a little crazy to be successful. Um, and it's something that I'm interested in in exploring. Once I retire from medicine, I maybe try to become a little crazier and see what the, where that leads. Well, as, as somebody who has worked with so many entrepreneurs now over 20 years, many of them I heard literally for five years, for 10 years saying, yeah, but that guy is crazy. And I remember sitting with them in, in, in the boardroom and thinking, well, I would not have the confidence uh, that this works but they had the obsession. And 10 years later, it worked. And everybody said, oh, they are the industry leader. And then 20 years later, they were just normal. They were part of the, the 10 names that you know in your country because these are the entrepreneurs. That's, that was normal. So first, they, they are called crazy, and then they are called normal and even normalized later. But the space where you say, oh, yeah, 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 but it's crazy. Yeah. And, and there are enough people right now saying that Elon Musk is a little bit over the top and it is, he's over over uh, estimating the execution power uh, of Tesla. They will not win Europe, etc. And yeah, who knows what some are betting against, some are betting pro. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's not my personality. I work with a lot of folks who are that personality, and, and I've worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. and And I think you can garner success independent of you know having to have specific uh, traits or skill sets. But 
it, it is interesting to see. I like, I have a fascination or, or an interest in reading about things of sort of subculture trends in human behavior or human development. Um, probably partially because I'm trying to program my kids without them knowing I'm programming them in the background. But um, it, it's an interesting question. And I'm also curious what your wife would say, because <laughs> my wife said once to me, said, this guy is crazy who's calling you 11 o'clock in the night, in the middle of the summer from his boat. So if he has a boat, like in July, and he's in this wonderful place, why does he call you, the consultant, and talk about spreadsheets? This guy is crazy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there is some form of obsession there. Yeah. Uh, when you are the entrepreneur, you are obsessed. You are relentless. And you it's are... It's, it's also a $100 million yacht he's on. I don't know if it's a boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's quite a big boat. And, you know, you could chill. You could chill. Your, your friends are chilling. You could chill. But no, if you are an entrepreneur, there is this thing that you want to discuss with, with some people. And you say, hey, uh, I was thinking, how can we scale that in that country? And if that doesn't work, could we do that? Can we recalculate that? So yeah, obsession, being relentless, but doesn't mean being crazy. Mm. But there is an intensity to entrepreneurship in the first 10 years that is unparalleled. Agree. And, um, and some love it, right? I'm into this game because I love that intensity, that seriousness, that passion, that here and now, that commitment to something. And uh, it is energizing. It is, it is beautiful. It is creative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say, you know, as an, as an investor, I mean, when we do due diligence on a company, obviously we look at what the idea is and their ability to scale and, and all of that. But one of the key things we look at is team and we look at the entrepreneurs. And, you know, I tell my friends who I angel invest with, because at, at an angel level of investing in a seed company, I mean, it's, it's an idea on a napkin a lot of the times. I mean, they have not, they don't have an MVP. They don't have product market fit. You're not at the point of deciding of scale and you're betting on the entrepreneur. And I tell my friends, I mean, learn the skill when you're angel investing of finding those entrepreneurs who you say to yourself, you know, it doesn't matter what this is, they're going to succeed. Like whether the idea is good or bad, and this may not be the first company or the second company, but this person will succeed at doing this. And after you start looking for it after time, you can spot those people. Absolutely. I'm so curious about who you nominate as my next guest, but first one word from the sponsors. Hey, if you like the tools, go grab them for free at strategysprints.com slash tools. Who should be my next guest? You know, so I work with a lot of people um, across the different things that I do. And recently I've gotten involved and I'm excited about a company that we started called FSM or Fundamental Sports Management. And it's an NBA sports agency. So it's something that I did not have a skill set in. I didn't, I mean, it's not something that I uh, had a proclivity for. But the uh, CEO of that company is a friend of mine, is a guy named Rahul Patel. And uh, we work together on, on multiple projects, but we're completely different individuals. He, uh, I like to lead from behind. I'm a quiet strategy scale kind of person. And he's on the front lines. He's, he's big, he's loud, and people love him. Um, and we're completely different in, in the way we approach uh, these businesses. But we're at the same rate, we're complementary. I would say there's a Venn diagram in the two circles overlap. And where the overlap is where we get a lot of success 
but our different skill sets are are work really well together, especially in a business like this where you're dealing with NBA players and and rappers and artists and and that uh, it's a social media kind of setting of something he's very good at and something which I spend very little. I'm shy and in the back and and try to stay off of the social media platform as much as we can. So it's a business that's growing really rapidly and is in that scale of that hockey curve J growth and is doing a fundraise. Um, But he's got a really interesting perspective on on media, marketing, promotion, all of something that is is a skill set that I don't, I mean, I have not possessed to date. Beautiful. I am such a fan of Jerry Seinfeld and he was once asked in an interview, Jerry, uh, which advice would you give to young people? What are the skills they need to learn? And he said, be loud and be clear. Yeah, <laughs> that's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Um, where can people stay in touch with you? Where can they find you? Uh, you know, after I just said I, I'm not a big social media person, I, I am focusing more on social media now. So two great places are Instagram. My handle is uh, emmet.x.meta. Uh, uh, you know, I, I when we talked about what, what does entrepreneurship mean, I think there's that X factor. And so, um, you know, I, I throw that X in there as that, that X factor of a multifaceted person who's doing lots of things. Um, and then LinkedIn. Uh, my handle, you know, just you can just search for Dr. A Meta. Um, but those are the two main platforms that I use. And if people have companies that they're looking for funding, I mean, we're happy to look. You can send a deck on any of on any of those platforms and, and reach out. Uh, happy to work with anyone who has who's working on something big. In order to respect your and their time, what are the prerequisites? Who should who should not write and who should write to you? I mean, you know. Uh, Uh, most of, I think, I mean, I get sort of hit up by three types of people. One is I'm an entrepreneur. I have a company I'm looking for funding and that's fine. Just, you know, for that, we need to send It's a long drawn out intercourse is not needed. It's more, I mean, we need your deck and we need your financials and we can take a very quick look. And one thing I would tell a lot of entrepreneurs is, you know, they'll send their material and we'll say no, and they get very deflated or dejected. I, I would not get that way. I mean, We're a, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't understand this. We are a series A fund. We have a very specific and um, narrow goalpost of who we invest in. And so if we don't invest in you or say no, it's not because you have a bad idea. It's just, it doesn't fit what we do. For example, I told you we don't invest in FinTech as much. So unless it's a, it's a big idea in FinTech, it's not something that we're you know typically in. Or if it's an agriculture company, we may already have a portfolio company in something what you're doing. So that's the first type. The second type of people are sort of um, are looking for skills and advice, mentorship, and that's great. And we have programs for that. And then the third are just sort of the cold calls looking to sell me business stuff and sell wares. The third part, I think, are probably not going to get a response. A lot of uh, uh, I'm not a big consumer of those kinds of things. So if you're in the first two categories, please reach out and we'll work with you um, to help. Beautiful. Is there anything I forgot to ask you? Um. No, I think one cool thing that I am working on now, and you know, I'm always trying to work on something. Was I say is, um, I'm trying to understand better sleep. You know, something I read a book called Why We Sleep, and I think this is important for entrepreneurs because you probably don't get a lot of sleep. It's sleep is probably something that most people don't think about. I mean, you just go to bed at nine, you wake up in the morning, and it's a black hole of what happens in that time. And it's pretty interesting from a 
clinical medicine standpoint of what actually happens during sleep and how important it is and how important it is to go to bed at a certain time and have a certain number of hours. So yeah, I think body hacking is one thing that I'm sort of interested now in and, and it's something that I think people should, um, you know, as part of uh, being a good entrepreneur or an operator or an investor is also taking care of holistically yourself and the machine that you have. So, you know, that's something I, I implore people to do is, is not only work on your company, but work on yourself and work on things that interest you. Beautiful. It's a beautiful book. And, uh, and many people in our community are starting to track the quality of their sleep with different rings and apps, etc. My Garmin use, does it also. So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm getting some data, but, but you as, as the medical pro, so which data do you track? What do you look at? The, the length of the deep phases or what you have at night correlated to the, to the, the quality or of your sleep? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, I, like I just recently became a beta tester for this wearable, which is the Amazon Halo. I don't think most people have even heard about it, but Amazon has this device and um, it's a little creepy, but it, it listens to your speech as well. So it's got a bunch of things in it and, and look it up. It's an interesting device, but uh, it has fairly accurate sleep metrics and will tell you length of time in uh, deep sleep, in REM, awake, how long it took you to go to bed. What the, and then they put a quality metric on that and then we'll correlate that with other things during the day. Um, that you have, including um, your mood, which is also an indicator of health. And they do that by doing analysis on your speech. They do it based on your activity. So you can look at how uh, the quality of your sleep and the time you spend in REM or deep sleep is affecting your ability during the day, whether it's the amount of movement or your mood or your um, uh, outlook and all of these things. So I've been doing it for a few weeks and it's fairly interesting. I, when I have a poor night's sleep for whatever it is, these objective metrics during the day are suffering. So measurement is the first piece of understanding how to change something. So it's an interesting tool that I, I endorse right now, you know, having tried it for a couple of weeks, it's the best sort of indicator of getting some data that I've had um, for now. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, there's days where I wake up in the morning, I didn't think my sleep was that bad. And then I look at the app and I look at the, the numbers that it gives me, and I go, oh my God, the sleep was bad. And then I do reflect at the end of the day and realize, you know, I didn't have a productive day. I was tired or whatever. I had more cups of coffee than I usually do because I must have been yawning. So it's pretty interesting that it, what the effect of it is. Can it track what you were eating for dinner based on what you were talking about over dinner? Or do you have to manually input it? it, it interestingly, it's not doing uh, food or calories. Um, and so... And I, I don't know enough about why they're not doing that. It does track your body fat and it like a Fitbit does. But um, I think it, uh, some of the I think a lot of the pieces of understanding how sleep is affected by, you know, the last drink you have, if you have alcohol at night, when you have a cup of coffee, all of these kind of things is, is not well understood. And the next I think in this next decade, sleep from a medical standpoint is going to be a very big focus. It's something it's amazing if you think about how little we understand about something we do so much of. Um, and you never hear your doctor really tell you, you know, you should sleep better or these are tools or techniques you should use to sleep better. I mean, I, my physician has never told me that. And it's not something that we learn in medical school. and It's not something that um, you're told as as a key component of better health. You know, we tell you 
stop eating fried food or we tell you, you know, do this or do that. But we don't say sleep more, you know, make sure you go to bed. I mean, you kind of hear have eight hours of sleep. But now we're seeing things about blue light at night and how that affects melatonin and circadian rhythm and all of these kinds of things. But it's becoming something that's a lot more interesting to folks. Absolutely. And, and the nutritional part is also quite interesting because some foods really can help you get into that REM phase faster and stay there longer and some, and some well, on a general level. Uh, but then there are also some based on your specific gut biome that really are your triggers uh, and can go in both directions, either support or not support your organism. So I look forward to the innovations in that field. Yeah. It's really, it's really, but I, I also had a, a, a book. It, a, uh, it was suggested by a guest here, uh, David Allen, and, and it's the oxygen advantage. And that had an impact on my sleep because basically this was done for, for high performers. Say if you want to recover better so you can train more because you're recovering better, then you can go from mouth breathing to nose breathing. And there is this technique that you basically tape your mouth during the night so that you train yourself uh, in the autonomous system to unconsciously breathe more through the nose. I did it for, for half a year. So I don't have the comparison study, of course. I don't know what would have happened if I didn't do that. But um, the quality of the sleep became really really better and uh, and I can train much more because I'm recovering better so that that I can add also the oxygen advantage and how we breathe during during the night yeah it's fascinating there's a lot of these things that we just don't understand a lot of and so it's an interesting time uh, I think it's a big sector that's going to see innovation uh, over the next uh, decade here and uh, you know there's lots of rings and wearables and things that are starting to look at sleep as a big uh, piece of them. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Emit, for being here. Come back soon and keep rolling. Thank you. Bye-bye. Avoid trying to do thousands of things that doesn't work. We have 274 templates for your business success. Reach your ambitious goals with one-on-one -on -one sprint coach. We double your revenue in 90 days. End of